In today's episode, uh, we discuss with James about how ornithophobia affected his life. Could it be fixed? This is Tools of the Humans. I am TC and I'll host this episode with uh, Russell Hemmings. James, welcome to Tools of the Humans. James, you are a successful presenter, an entrepreneur, author, creator. And here we are, you're sharing your story, which starts and ends with the ornithophobia, which is phobia of birds. So yes, ornithophobia is uh, something I've suffered from for many years now, a, a fear, a phobia of birds. Um, I probably had it 35, 40 years. And the first instance, I, I actually don't remember it, but I'm told by my mum was in Trafalgar Square in London when I was very young, maybe only three or four years old. And apparently I was sort of playing with the pigeons and then something happened and a number of pigeons, you know, came close or sort of swooped on me. And uh, apparently that, that upset me. As I said, I don't actually remember that. Uh, but that I believe is probably the first instance. And then over that time, that phobia has got gradually worse uh i can remember probably the next incident i was maybe 11 12 coming back from school and i found a we lived in the country and i found a a small bird in my bedroom it's actually had this miniature snooker table and the bird was sitting on it and i remember being petrified really and sort of running out the house uh it's funny that bird in my mind over the next few decades became bigger, it almost became like a crow. I'd, I'd imagine that it was a lot worse, but actually, as I really thought back about it, it probably was a much smaller bird as well. So uh, that that is that 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 sort of phobia grew and grew and probably culminated a couple of years ago. I, I'm a runner, uh, um, track, marathon, and I, I live in Dubai and I, I train outdoors and in the area where I live, uh, I, where, where I do a lot of running, there, there are crows, as there are crows in many uh, cities around the world. And um, in one case, early, I do all my morning early running because of the heat. And in one situation, uh, when I was running, I, I felt something approach and just touch me. And, and it, it, it was a crow. And then, uh, again, the fear, uh, the, the, the catastrophic feelings were, were really bad and I remember I was doing a loop and as I ran back I thought well that's not going to happen again and it did on the say like 30 minutes later it was probably the same crow came down didn't touch me this time but swooped and I remember that again the adrenaline the fear and that happened another two two times probably different crows over the course of 12 months and what I did I stopped using those routes and eventually actually couldn't really run uh, in the in my neighborhood at all because of that fear uh, and then I started to see, try and, you know, get some help on this a couple of times unsuccessfully. And then I, I, I met Russell. For, for the man of the street, obviously, this is not a common thing to that, you know, you hear about. But uh, I'm really curious to know what from both of you guys, what triggers, uh, what, what was triggering, uh, you know, what aspects of the birds were triggering your phobia? You know, probably Russell as, a, as, a, as the answer, as a as a therapist and you have the answer, you know, from, from your side, what was that? Uh, I can think of three cases of bird phobia and they're all different. Uh, one was uh, fear of chickens and then another one was pigeons. 
And uh, the more intense phobia that I worked with was the one with James, which was a combination. Um, so they can vary and they vary because of the uh, experiences we have. So, and I, I, I can talk about those individual cases later. Fear was all birds, uh, really, um, all, all of them from the smallest, you know, to, to the largest. I suppose the, the crow event, you know, is probably at the top of that pyramid, if you like, because, especially in the last uh, three years, because of, I don't call them attacks anymore. I used to call them attacks because they're not an attack. Uh, and again, that's part of the, the work we've been doing, we just call it when the crow swooped close, um, you know, that, 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 that sort of crow became at the top of the hierarchy, but it was really all birds. You know, what were the triggers? Um, it, it's a really interesting one. There was the, 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 the flapping of the wings, the uh, close proximity. So particularly inside, or if I was, I could never sit outside at a, you know, a nice cafe and, you know, having a coffee outside, you know, when you've got all the pigeons uh, around, I, I just wouldn't, I wasn't able to do that because those types of pigeons were quite bold. They were, you know, come near you and they're coming for food. You know, they're not coming for any other reason, but that, that would unsettle me. And because they would fl flap quickly, there's the, it's the speed and the, the dexterity of, of birds. It's that suddenness uh, that, that would, you know, create that um, anxiety. He would notice those shadows, whereas other people wouldn't notice them. No, absolutely. You're right. Shadows, the, the sound and in, indoor, uh, in enclosed spaces uh, was also a problem. I, I suppose maybe that sort of fear of not being able to, to escape, whereas in, in the great outdoors, uh, there, there was less anxiety. This phobia was limiting you in, in certain ways in your life. But what, was there any, any episode or what motivated you to, to overcome this, uh, this fear? Was there any specific event that made you realize that you needed uh, help? And then you said you went through some help, but didn't help uh, properly. So finally, you found Russell that uh, helped you out with the, with the right tools. Running is a big part of my life. And it's something I, well, at the moment, I'm recovering from injury, but I, I run every day, you know, six days a week. And when that crow incident happened and then it happened again and then again, I think there was three or four instances in the space of a few months, it wasn't a one-off. And I got it in my head that every time I'm going to go out and run, I got to scan the skies. That situation was the trigger point because it was like, okay, this is affecting my running. It's affecting uh, something I love to do. Um, and so, yes, I, I did. I, I saw I spoke to two people and, and of course they, they they came with their best intentions and uh, in, in some cases they helped me in some other areas, but um, they weren't able to really uh, get into the uh, the ornithophobia itself. And uh, I'll be honest, I, I felt a little um, despondent. I thought this is I don't think I'm going to be able to be cured. And Russell will, will smile at this because. I think he got that sense. I, Russell can read me quite well, quite well, and he's very talented at what he does. And he sort of sense in, the, in our first couple of sessions that, you know, I'm thinking, you know, I'm I'm not curable, and which I I believe is is quite common for people that have long-standing phobia. So I, I was I was a little cynical, I suppose. I originate from uh, UK, just like you, and I'm now living not far from you, really. My my office is very very short distance to your home. So in our home country, 
the behavior of the crow is not the same as the, as the crows over here. Crows in the UK um, tend to keep themselves to themselves. And we can walk through a park and the last thing they want to do is get involved with human beings. Now, when I moved into this area, when I, when I come, came to live in Dubai, just like James, I noticed that the crows, they're, they're slightly smaller. James was able to avoid birds so much easier in the UK. True? True. He then moves into uh, an, an area in Dubai called JLT, but it's not just JLT, it's all over. And I've interviewed uh, clients as they come in with different phobias and different problems. I asked them about crows and about birds because... I wanted to build up a picture and everyone's got a story. Everyone's got this story like, oh yeah, they do, um, they do uh, protect themselves, especially in the breeding season. And that might be that they dive close to humans and, and this bird touched me. I, I wouldn't use the word attack. You know, I, I think that, that that happens in the phobic's mind. They, they see that as an attack and that's what happened. And James, you wait, the more you talk to James, the more you'll realize very talented man and one of his talents is so creative and so imaginative that but that went against him with his phobia because he was imagining if you listen to some of the dialogue that he'd spent 40 years from childhood to present day and he's a very logical man if you spend any time with him you will know he's a very logical talented person but he had this irrational uh, story, this irrational fear, which he added to. So he has all the he had all these misconceptions, distortions, uh, and ideas uh, around what the birds were doing, and he never questioned it. He just believed it, which intensified the fears. And you could talk to James and say, "I get this. It's totally irrational. I don't. I don't. I, I understand. It doesn't make sense." But the reality is the physiology of his body was giving you all the symptoms as if there was a lion in the room with him. So Absolutely. phobias with everybody are irrational and the people know they're irrational, but it doesn't matter because the feelings are real. I was getting ready to go to bed one night and um, uh, my balcony was, is, is dark and I just saw something in the corner that wasn't there because I keep my balcony pretty clean and I thought oh no I wonder what that is like it, it could be a bird it could be a dead bird and the dead bird to me was a big problem okay and the thought of a dead bird on the balcony I think what else could it be I couldn't even open the door to look at it that's the type of phobia that it was and uh, I wanted to but I had to put the blinds down and go to bed and I couldn't really sleep that night because uh, my, my bed is like quite close to the balcony so it's only like a pane of glass this is the sort of weird things that where phobia does to you even though if it was dead uh you know but it, it was there and anyway it was in my mind a lot and then I actually had to summon up quite a lot of courage the next day to open up that uh, blind and, and and look and it's almost like and it would be very hard for someone that doesn't have a phobia to understand this but it's it's almost like a catastrophic event. So I had to almost like kind of inching ever closer to look at what this was, and I could see it was um, 
it, it was something there, but I, I couldn't really even look. So I thought, okay, look, I'm, I'm going to go downstairs and get, get our maintenance team. We're lucky enough. We've got security mate to just go and have a look. And what I thought, and I said to them, look, I think there may be a bird on the balcony. I think it may be dead. Can you, can you go and have a look? And, you know, uh, they sort of looked at me as said, why can't you look yourself? And I didn't want to get into too many, because most people don't empathize with this type of folk. They would just say, what, you know? So anyway, they went and had a look and they said, oh, actually, no, it's a pigeon, it's nesting. It's created a nest. And for them, it was like, oh, it's great. And I was like, oh no, this is, this is, this is a, this is a big problem for me. Uh, I can't have a pigeon nesting on, on the balcony. Um, what are the I, feelings like, James? Um, could you just describe when you saw that, you said, you know, you were in bed and you couldn't sleep. What are the feelings like for someone that has this problem? High anxiety, high anxiety. And I'm someone that doesn't really suffer from anxiety in, in my general life. I'm quite. I've you seen know, you on stage talking to people yeah. and you, you own the stage. Uh, it is really irrational because I've got to know you. And you're just the complete opposite to this, but it's just this small area in your life which was having a major impact, physical yeah, experience. Right. So, the, the, so very high anxiety, increased heart rate. Um, it, it's almost like in a catastrophic, like something bad is happening, but like a, a sense of doom. Uh, it, it's it's really quite a phenomenal feeling for something that, and remember, my rational side is knows that there's no thing this is if, whether it's uh, alive or dead or net it's, it's like again it's it's a wonderful part of nature right mm. a pigeon you know all my rational side is this is great like i'm at one with nature and but there's the other side the phobic side that mm. has built up this this narrative that this this is bad and um so so anxiety not being able to relax i've got to deal with this can i deal with this um that that's the type of feel and it's basically it's the feeling is like i cannot relax until that's been dealt with again but then i thought i really got to find some help here on this one because uh that that's that's not that that's again that's debilitating so yeah that was the pigeon story yeah in the in tools in tools of the humans we we speak about exactly this the tools that people uh use to face challenges and how they overcame the challenges are you the credit on you is to to seek for help. This is something that I always bring to the athletes or to the pilots. You know, if something doesn't quite add up, seek for help. But what were the strategies that you that the tools that Russell uh, used with you? What was the strategy there, and uh, uh, which allow you gradually to overcome the phobia? Yeah, I mean the, the tools were phenomenal and still are. And the reason I I eventually found Russell was we have a mutual friend good friend of ours called Pua, uh, who is actually my next door neighbor. And Pua and I take these nice evening walks sometimes. He's quite a deep thinker. And uh, he, he was, uh, you know, we were talking about this phobia. And he said, look, I think I have someone that might be able to help, can can help you, might be able to help you. And that's how the connection was made. Um, as I said, I was not cynical, but okay, they're going to need to be good. Yeah, so I, I, had, I had seen... Um, you know, a, a, thera a sort of a NLP type of therapist. And I had done some work on some other areas in, in these, um, you know, more kind of holistic area. I, I was, I was tr willing to try different things 
I'd also done some hypnotherapy tapes a little bit, a little bit early in my life, recognizing something and read some books and videos, but nothing, you know, really got there. And, and I think, you know, Russell's, uh, I think there's a couple of things. I think there's the, the tools, which I'll talk about, because that was the question you asked me, Tommaso, but I think Russell's nature and, and his, uh, he sort of alluded to this, his flex, he, he, is, he takes a custom, I would assume a customized approach to every, to every client, I got that sense. Like Russell, uh, sort of knew could could get to know who I am, and 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 you know he talked about that analytical side. That's one of my strengths, but like any strength, could, can also be a weakness. Um, I'm a very disciplined type of person, so he was able to sort of use my strengths to help me, and 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 you know he would spend quite a lot of time with me as well, talking about who I am as well, and I think as part of his way of the strategy. And so, so the, there, there were a number of tools. I think that was the first tool was actually a customized approach, getting to know me and, and what would work and, you know, talking about my background. And one of the, you know, there was, a, there was actually quite a few tools that we used. Um, one of the most powerful was uh, called in vivo exposure, which is uh, going out to face your fear. And that wasn't easy because essentially that meant going out to sit in this area that Russell talked about, JLT, Jameera Lake Towers, where, where I live. And, and Russell actually came out with me the first couple of times. And I think it would be fair to say, Russell, that you, you really got a sense of how high my anxiety could be when we just sat at a Costa coffee and there was crows around. He said, what's your anxiety level now on a one to 10? It's like, yeah, probably around it's a seven. Yeah. And James has had this problem for... I calculated about 40 years, James. About that, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a long time to hold a collective belief structure around how dangerous these birds are to his existence. So, on, on, and also his creative mind, I, you know, this man, you're going to be reading books uh, in the future, I'm sure. Uh, that will uh, be from James because he's so, or, or, or you'll be watching a movie one day uh, that James has directed because he is so creative. So when you spend time with him and you listen to the way he communicates, um, and you're probably getting a, a, an idea of that from the way he articulates on here, but he's just got an amazing mag ma imagination. And what we have to do is we have to dis dissemble some of those belief structures. So he talks about this collective approach, which I use, but it differs from people to people. But if someone's had a phobia and they've gone to so-called specialists, that each time that that specialist doesn't achieve what they want, then that person doesn't blame the specialist. He blames himself. And then they start to believe, I can't be fixed. And again, I say this with the greatest respect, because of James's journey and how long he'd had this problem, he came in negative. It was almost like he convinced himself, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll try working with Russell, but I probably won't work because it's never worked in the past. So before, and I did comment a few times, didn't I, James, with you, and said, you're actually deconstructing the work. We need to, you know, to get this work. I, I'm convinced that I'll be able to help you, but 
we need to deconstruct some of the ways you're approaching this because some of your thoughts and understandably so because of his past experiences where he tried things and they hadn't succeeded he was sort of saying i've got to live with this this is because i've been places and they haven't helped me so it must be something to do with me and 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 his talk was very much that this is something he's got to live with and i so i had to deconstruct that once we deconstructed that um then you're at base we're at ground zero and then we could do some really good work uh but carry on i wanted to add balance uh because um you know that was because i think because of the nature his personality that i just had to immerse and i wanted to i wanted to get the result for him and it was really important when you face a phobia like that's Phobia is an avoiding the stimulus. So when you face it, you're no longer avoiding the stimulus. Technically, you no longer have a phobia. And that was something that Russell taught me early on. I thought, I, I really like that. And I want to go and face these fears. I feel like I've got quite good resolve. And I and so I, I reflected more on that. So, okay, it's really important that tomorrow, the Sunday, that I go out. It's really important I go out. I get back on the bike. And I did. And I, and I went out for 30 minutes. And it was fine. The, the technique, I, I think the breathing and the exposure are, are clearly very, very important. But I, I think the other tool which really helped, um, and as I said, there was quite a few, but it, Russell perhaps has a the more technical name for this, but we call it the zigzag. Let's go back in time. Um, James, and I call this a courtroom, James is living in a world where he's he's in a courtroom and the judge and the jury and the prosecution are his mind and so there's no there's no defense because he he's convinced himself that the only way he's going to get through life when birds are in his proximity is to avoid them because they're dangerous they 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 create intense feelings and they're going it's going to result in his demise or in something bad and he, and he's not rationalizing so what what we do the, the 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 this term that we we're talking about zigzag what we do is we identify the unhealthy irrational beliefs and we put them each belief in a box and this piece of paper that we sheep which we call the zigzag then has um an attack of that belief so we find out the rational belief and we write that down and then we then attack that belief because we need to find what james's um irrational attack would be about that healthy belief and then once we've done that we then attack his irrational belief with a healthy belief. Now, why do we do that? Well, we do it to add balance and to bring a rational argument, which phobics don't do. They're in the courtroom on their own. And if you're on the, in the courtroom on your own as a prosecution, you're going to win every case, aren't you? You're going to convince the judge, the jury, and yourself that you're guilty. And so by bringing this defense in, and I, I'm the person who will create these rational beliefs because James 
doesn't think of them. He, he hasn't thought about them for 40 years. So I create them and then present them to James. James hears those beliefs and then thinks on his, his rational mind, yeah, that makes sense. I get that. I still believe the, the opposite, but I get what you're saying. And where, where, then he goes through this, he takes this home, thinks about it, processes it. And then what we do is we introduce this technique called two chair, where, and James spoke about this, where I asked him to sit in one chair and speak to the empty chair as if he's in that chair. Now, for the first time in his life, he's actually saying something to himself to dispute the irrational, uh, the irrational belief. Now, we do this and we show them how to create. If, you, if you're in an argument with somebody and you've got a point to make uh, and you strongly believe what you believe, then you tend to sort of have conviction, don't you? You, you? you raise your voice slightly or your body language is a bit firmer. So what we do is we ask them to just say in one chair the unhealthy belief and then in the other chair to sort of say it with conviction as if you mean it. And what happens is um, over a process of time and practicing this, you're starting to hear your own voice. So you're, you're, you're bringing in the defense into the courtroom and when you start to bring in the defense into the courtroom and it's not someone else telling you it's yourself then the jury starts to listen and starts to understand hang on a minute there's more to this case than meets the eye and it's all all done you know on an unconscious level and so you're starting to bring rationalization into this so it's a very very useful tool or one of the tools what what i would say on a conscious level James will say to you, this was really effective. That really helped because he's a very logical man. So I tailored my work um, to suit that his personality. But on an unconscious level, there was work done in hypnosis. And when you're, when you're using a multi-pronged attack on the problem, he won't actually know um, what necessarily he'll feel that certain things work he'll know that really worked for me because i improved in that but because we're using multiple approaches to, to the problem one supports the other so there'll be things said in hypnosis that validate what he's been taught to think consciously so there is layers of technique and i think that's that's the advantage when when you get somebody who's not just using one technique. It's like go. I, I compare it. It's like go. You know these MMA fighters that are, are no judo and aikido, and when they're on the ground, they use jujitsu, and you don't have a chance because th there's a multiple technique for every you know attack. And so we were using these different techniques as and when we adapt, or I adapt my approach depending on the individual in front of me and that's what um james was referring to in his opening statement i think there was this multiple approach that uh, he hadn't experienced before now that that's a great articulation of the the uh, the zigzag and the, and the two chair and uh, i, I found that yeah very very uh, effective for me you took ownership to be fair in this very logical approach one has to take ownership because 
there has been in the past people that you'll teach them the techniques and I'll say the week later, did you do it? And they're like, oh, I haven't had time. Well, you know, it, it only works if you immerse yourself in it. And to James's credit, he immersed himself in it. And that's why he's where it was he a top, is. It was a top priority. It was the most important priority I was working on at the time um, because it was related to, to health. It was impacting uh, your life. I mean, who wants to leave a, a dining area outside on a beautiful Dubai, you know, day with management and say, I'm sorry, I can't cope. There's a bird. That That's not really where he wants to be. And he's, you know, he's got all these skills. Um, and I, I, from my perspective, it's probably thought, you know, that one little thing was affecting the way that he was communicating with people and interacting with people, it was a big thing. So I, I know I know why you put the effort in, because it was life-changing for you. And it was I think uh, what is the advice that you're going to give to people that are struggling with phobia, but uh, the way I see it, put it as a top priority, then take responsibility, seek help, and be disciplined which is as a fighter pilot, you're telling me exactly the things that we do for our line of business, which is, you know, to achieve the goal, you know, like, for example, you know, if there is a target, we always use a multiple access attack for the simple reason that there are defenses and there are, you know, they have different, uh, different characteristics. So if you're only going from one direction, you're not going to succeed. So what advice would you give to somebody that is struggling with that specific fear of birds like, like yours? It's okay if you have a phobia. It's not. It's nothing to do with a, uh, you know. It's not a defect. It's not a human defect. And there are people like Russell who can help, and it can be helped. Uh, I, I've made a lot of progress. I was able to sit outside in cafes for for the first time. I took my mum was over. We had a nice uh, meal outside, and she knows about this. And she said, "Oh, it's uh, you know, it, it, it's great, you know, because I, I, I saw there were birds outside and, and how, you know, relaxed you were. And, um, and, and so there's been a couple of times. And in fact, I had a meal with a, a lunchtime meal with, with two friends of mine. There was crows, uh, you know, quite a lot of them uh, in the outdoors area. And I actually chose to sit outside. Mm. And part, but first of all, I would not have been able to, I would not have put myself in that situation three, three four months ago. And, and B, if I, if I did put myself in that situation and I found where there's crows, I would have said, hey, guys, can we go inside? Because I've done that for years. And I didn't do that. And I did tell them, actually, this is quite interesting. If you met me three months ago, we wouldn't be having this. We wouldn't be sitting outside. And, uh, and, and, and I was actually using an anchoring technique a little bit as well, which is uh, something like positive anchors, just to help in that situation when, when there's crows flying around. And when, when James is talking about anchoring, uh, this particular you, you can anchor you don't, don't need to use fingers I've anchored a feeling of intensity and aggression in a boxer with his gum shield but with James's I just put it into his two fingers so we ask him to squeeze the fingers together and then bring in that relaxed state and anchor it into that it's no di it's no different of dad coming home and sitting in his comfortable chair but he says to uh, his child, go on, son, out my chair. And the son's puzzled by that sometimes. He'll look at, well, there's another chair over there. Why don't you sit in that one? He says, no, this is where he's, he's thinking this unconscious. This is where I relax. 
So we all have anchors and triggers in life. You know, sometimes people have to hold the remote control and sit in their comfortable chair and they won't feel comfortable unless they've got control of the control. So we've all got different anchors in life. I'll tell you an anchor of mine. This, if I take my glasses off, that's when I go to sleep and relax. So if any time I set my, because these are on all day, but the only time they come off is when I go to bed. So that's a, an anchor and a trigger. So we can install these in hypnosis. Um, it, they're far much more effective. And then when he goes out into a situation which would then trigger anxiety, he can fire the anchor and bring in that confident feeling or that relaxed feeling. And so the brain inside the amygdala um, then can then adjust and bring those comfortable feelings, which can cancel out the old feelings. But this is what he's referring to when he's saying he's firing his anchors. I used those anchors in that particular situation just to help. Uh, and, and it's sort of knowing that, that I've got those tools, knowing I've got that toolbox that I can employ. And, and I was able to actually enjoy a lunch, not really thinking too much about it. And that's tremendous progress for, uh, you know, that just wouldn't have happened three, four months ago. And, and that, that example then becomes up here. I've, I've done that before. I can therefore do it again and keep doing that. So, but, uh, you know, to answer, to get, to answer your question around, uh, you know, the advice, as, as I mentioned, you know, uh, it's not a defect, first of all, uh, you know, it can be, you, it can be worked on, it can be cured uh, because there's people like Russell out there with the skills and the empathy uh, and the experience to help. Mindfulness is something that Russell and I spent some time on as well. Um, but, you know, I'm out every day with nature anyway, so I'm still with the birds and I, you know, feel very differently around them now as well. So that's what I would say. Um, a couple of years ago, there was a young boy whose parents brought him in because he wouldn't come out into the garden. They had a beautiful villa here in Dubai and lovely pool and lovely garden. And he wouldn't come out in the garden because he had a fear of bees. So he was about oh, 10. And he'd been stung by a bee. So he had his story. And we did some work. We did some hypnosis. Now, I remember because I did a photo shoot at the bottom of uh, my office just outside here. And I remember there was these hedges. They're not here now because they've built uh, some office blocks. But, and there was bees. So just like James, and this is the difference. This is, I really feel strongly about this, that people need to get from behind the desk and calibrate in the situation. They need to work with their clients at close quarter with their fears. So I took this boy downstairs in the first session because he hadn't had this fear for 40 years. He hadn't been on the planet for 40 years. He'd only been uh, on, alive for 10. And so he'd only had the fear for a couple of years. And I took him downstairs and took him uh, and he was apprehensive. I said, we're going to go and find some bees. And he was, really? I said, yeah. And he stood with me next to this hedge where there was bees just hovering around, doing their thing, collecting pollen. And I remember him saying, what have you done? I can't, I'm not frightened anymore. So 
it can happen really quickly depending on how long you've had it because the neurological pathways that we use in our mind the more we use them that i use this comparison this metaphor they're no different to taking a shortcut across a park and if you keep using that path every day then eventually the grass wears out and you have a pathway a clear pathway so if you've been doing that for 40 years then that path is going to be well worn isn't it in comparison to someone that's only had this um you know a few years or uh, there was a, a young girl i was working with yesterday and she she's had this phobia and it's quite intense albeit she's only had it for a couple of months and that's a fear of vomiting she doesn't she she goes into the same sort of response that you do james when she vomits herself or she sees other people vomiting and but she's only had it for a couple of months so depending on how long you've had a problem can affect the way you approach the problem and the time it takes everyone's different and and so you can't treat everyone the same you have to have this almost this chameleon approach you have to change the way that you work with somebody depending on how they present and that's where that emerged and that's where uh, james was saying earlier russell understood me and so they're all different they're all different and the mind's different so you can have you can actually have someone that has a phobia and has had it for a long time and you can make some really quick shifts um and because we're all different we've all experienced different things in life we've been brought up differently we've been parenting differently and all these variables make the difference let me see if i understood correctly because obviously you're you're talking about tailored approach and you know we're all different and uh we have many variables that are playing the game here but um the the way i understand the more the situation humans you know brought forward it becomes a chronic situation and at the point you build barriers and you build you know like walls you're resisting to to get out of the situation but the less the time then it's easier for you to overcome these fears or to overcome these uh, these issues that people have um you remember pauline who had the two crashes it took two crashes to traumatize her and, and make a phobic of falling there'll be there was a girl that i worked with that had when she was young a fear of uh, chickens and no other birds just chickens she was feeding the chickens corn she lived on a farm and she's feeding them and she was wearing sandals and the bag broke and the corn went into her shoes and they the chickens her perception not reality were pecking at her feet to get at the corn they weren't after her but she didn't know that and because she hadn't addressed the problem just like james she'd hold up held on to it for 40 years maybe she was embarrassed maybe she didn't know where to go or to, to you know where to get help and we came across each other and uh, again i took her down to a, a farm where there was chickens and we worked on the problem together um so everyone's different and there's so many variables that you you can't really explain because 
it's, you know, it could be 40 years ago, it could be two months ago, but also the way that people perceive the world as well. And as I said with James, he's got a very creative mind. If you don't have that creative mind, um, James, James, a long time ago, saw a movie called The Birds by a very famous uh, director, Alfred Hitchcock. And he saw that at young. How old were you when you watched that film, James? I actually seen it probably two or three times. Uh, probably the first time. Late, Glutton late, for punishment. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, uh, I really shouldn't have watched it because it, it only made things worse. But late teens, I think, uh, Russell. Okay, so late teens. I just for people who've never seen this film, um, it's about birds taking over the planet and ta attacking human beings. And I'm sure that with his creative mind. And seeing that movie in his teens with this problem, it exasperated the problem. Now, someone else with a phobia might have seen the film and they weren't as creative or imaginative as James. And, and then it might not have affected them. So there's just so many variables. When, when I, what I do, I, I often compare myself with a detective. I have to sort of jump into the murder scene, so to speak, and analyze situation you know remember colombo um the tv detective and he'd have he'd be like as he walked out the room oh there's just one other question <laughs> it's very much like that so there and, and, and sometimes i'll be working with a, a client and the session's over and i'll i'll walk them to the elevator or i'll walk them down to the car park sometimes and They'll tell me something that's so significant. It's a real Colombo moment. And they they don't realize. And they'll say, oh, by the way, la 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 la, right? And I'll be like, haha, got it. And I'll use that in the next session. So there's a lot of detective work goes on, a lot of stuff that I won't share necessarily with James that that means a lot to me that I can then use later on. So going back to your original question, it just it's so different. And that is why this one pronged approach doesn't work. So I, most of the people that come to me will say, you're my last hope. I've tried different things and it haven't worked. And I'm almost not expecting this to work. And James was like that. He was like, I could tell he, he, he was, he was he'd given up on himself. You, you, you've got to talk to them and say, look, no, it, it doesn't matter what you've done in the past. We're going to approach it in a different way and we're going to use a collective approach. Uh, and usually, I'm, you know, I'm not God, but usually we get a breakthrough. And it's because of those variables that I use with, you know, this collective approach with the clients. So uh, it, there's many things. There's so many things that, that affect. And some of those things will not be in their conscious awareness. They won't be able to tell me because they don't remember. I had a woman once who had a fear of staircases and it's online. It's on my website uh, and she shares her story. It's about 20 years ago and she didn't remember. She was a little girl and this came out in the hypnosis. She just came out of the hypnosis session and she said, while I was in there, I had a memory. And we call it an engram memory release. And she said, I remember when I was a little girl, I 
was in a park and I saw myself climbing up this ladder, a slide, you know, the, you know, the metal slides. Um, and nowadays they have all this cork matting and soft landing to protect children. In our day, it was concrete. So she walked up this ladder and her mother was at the bottom of the side saying, come down. It was the first time she used the slide. And she said, I'll fall, mommy. And she said, no, no, you won't. You'll be fine. And she got to the top. And what did she do? She fell. Landed on her head, which you can imagine is quite a height. And she, I don't know if she fractured uh, bone, but she certainly hurt herself. She had concussion. Was rushed to hospital. And it was the first time in her life that she'd been separated from her mother. She was only a little girl. And that had been suppressed and buried in her subconscious mind. What happened was she could not walk up or down staircases because she had this fear of falling. But she didn't know until we did some hypnosis and she had this memory release. And, and so we started to see these pictures of what happened. And I think that was quite cathartic in its own right, that she was able to think, I remember why now. I got it because some people that's important to others. They don't care how they got it. They just want to get fixed. So um, that's an, that's another interesting story uh, that you can actually go back. It's it's, a, it's it, it wasn't on zoom. It was uh, just done on a, you know, one-to-one, -one, but she, the, the crew that filmed her, she shared, shares her story and how, how it develops and the impacts that it had on her life, just like James. It was affecting her life, so she decided to, to to work on it. So there, there's so many there's so many variables, and James remembered two incidents: um, Trafalgar Square, which is a bit was a bit vague, uh, and then that other incident with the bird. Which you know, if you're on your own, you're a young boy in a room, and you know birds, they keep hitting the glass trying to escape. You know that, and you know that's it can be traumatic to a child not knowing what to do. And so they're probably having a panic attack, but there might have been other memories um, that um, James had that just, he doesn't know or didn't access. So we're, we're all different. And I think that's uh, important um, as a practitioner to recognize that and be able to adapt your approach to suit those differences. I think we are at the end of the episode. Is there anything else, uh, James, that you want to share or want to highlight from this uh, journey that continues? Well, I think, uh, I, you know, I think having uh, the right help uh, is, is everything. Um, I've learned a lot, actually, from, from, uh, from the session. Not only am I happy that, you know, that the great progress that's been made, but I've actually also learned things as well along the way. Um, it, it's quite a, you know, you go into quite a reflective state um, doing this type of work because, you know, you're really uh, deconstructing uh, this structure in your mind. And I, and I think, you know, even the work we did around mindfulness and breathing uh, has a lot of value beyond the phobia. I, I use the breathing actually more generally now and the mindfulness, I'm, you know, more appreciative of those those moments as well so i think it's a, it's a journey that i'm really glad that i took i'm very glad that i found someone as i said of russell's capabilities and empathy and skill set 
because I've got these tools now for life and um, and, and it's something I'm going to continue using. So, you know, very appreciative of that fact. I think life is a journey. We're always learning. Uh, we never have all the answers. I think Russell's been absolutely right. We're all very different. And what works for me might not work for someone else. But, you know, that uh, multifaceted approach certainly seems to give us a, a very good shot at, at doing that. So, no, that that's uh, that that's really, you know, my thoughts on that, Tomas. I appreciate the opportunity to come in and speak to yourself today, along with Russell, and share a little bit of my story. And if that gives others, perhaps in the same situation, some hope, then, uh, you know, it feels like a very valuable thing to have done. Thank you for being part of Tools of the Humans. Um, I am TC, the expert, Russell Hemmings. See you next time. Take care. Bye, James.